Good morning. I would like to start my sermon today um, by describing a hypothetical scenario in a Jewish family in ancient Israel. So this is my attempt. Sitting around the kitchen table is a high top. He is the grandson of Eli. He and his wife, Elizabeth, are having a conversation. I am not going, that's it. Honey, calm down. You can't say you are not going. You are the high priest. It is your job. You have to do it. Well, I didn't, I didn't ask to be the high priest. I didn't ask to be a Levite. I didn't ask to be born into this family. Elizabeth said, I hide up. Please put yourself together and you what you have to do. But Elizabeth, what if I die when I am about to enter the Holy of Holies? Calm down, honey, said Elizabeth. Adonai, the Lord, has promised forgiveness. That's what, is this, what this is all about. But what if I die? What if I didn't confess all my sins? I do not remember all of them. Well, Elizabeth said, maybe you can pray that Adonai will forgive you for those sins who you, uh, that you don't remember. Maybe you can tell him, forgive my hidden faults. Elizabeth, don't you remember the day Nadab and Abihu died? God killed them. Elizabeth, well, yes, but that will not happen to you. You will not die in the Holy of Holies. You will not bring strange fire before Adonai. I am afraid, Elizabeth. I am very, very afraid. I do not want to go inside. I'd rather not be the high priest of Israel. So the text uh, that we are considering today speaks to the fear of the high priest uh, of Israel. And for that reason, I will invite um, Paul Frick. He will uh, read the text for us today. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Paul. Gospel counterfeits. What are gospel counterfeits? I am not the first one to use uh, this term, so I will define what I mean by that. A gospel counterfeit is anything that rises to compete with the gospel of God and offers you that which can only be yours through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat this. A gospel counterfeit is anything that rises to compete with the gospel of God 
and offers you and offers to give you that which can, can only and truly be yours through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as with the gospel of God, gospel counterfeits have their own Messiah, their own Redeemer, their own way of offering salvation. But since gospel counterfeits are not the real thing, but just a falsification of the real thing, only delusion can be found at the end of the road. There is no hope in gospel counterfeits. The prophet Jeremiah talks about this when he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah 2.13. Now, gospel counterfeits are always present in our culture in many ways. But I want us to focus on one thing mentioned in our passage. So as we continue our uh, series on the book of Romans, The Righteousness of God Revealed, we arrive today to chapter 5. Here, Paul begins a new section in his presentation of the gospel of God and remember faith in Jesus Christ. So in the beginning of chapter 5, Paul speaks of the aftermath of justification or the benefits of being justified in Christ alone by faith alone. Some commentators uh, call chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 the fruits of justification. And depending on how you divide the text, you, uh, you can say that there are four uh, results or benefits of justification. We, we could spend actually four weeks talking about each one of them, but if we do so, we will never get to the end of Romans, and we don't want to spend two years just in the book of Romans. Um, but I'm going to mention them to you just in case that you want to study by your own later. The benefits of being justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, are number one, peace with God. Number two, access to God. Number three, joy in the hope of the glory of God. Number four, joy in our sufferings. And there's one more in verse 11, which would be number five, joy in God himself. Joy in God himself. Uh, so today, I want us to focus on the second benefit of justification, which we read in verse 2. Um, so let us consider first the idea of having access. In verse 2, Paul states that justification gives us access. And the question is access to what? Well, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul uses the word access in two places. In Ephesians 2.18, Paul says that through Christ, Jews and Gentiles have access to the Father by one spirit. And the context in which he uses this word, access, is temple worship. This is important for us to remember later in our sermon. The context that Paul, in which Paul uses this word is temple worship. Then in Ephesians chapter 3.12, Paul states that in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So boldness and access and confidence go together in Paul's mind. Outside Paul, 
Peter uses the verb to access in connection to Christ's all-sufficient sufferings for our sins. In 3.18, Peter says that he might bring us to God. And here the word bring us to God is the same word Paul uses uh, to say that we have access to God. Later, the author of Hebrews uses the word boldness or confidence in connection with entering the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle of Israel in 1019. And although entering is not the same exact word, it conveys the same idea of having access or to have access. So in summary, the word access or to access and bold and confidence are all used by Paul and New Testament writers in a religious context, and more specifically, in temple worship context. It describes entering the place where God is to worship him. Entering the place where God is to worship him. Now, we might not be able to grasp what Paul is saying here unless we state what is obvious in the text. If we now have access into this grace, that means that we didn't have access before. And you may say, well, that's obvious. You have superpower of, obs uh, of observation. But this is one of the instances in which I do believe that asking what is obvious in the text will help us. Consider this. Why didn't we have access? Uh, have we ever had access at all? And if we once had access, when did we lose that access. Now, let me put it in a negative way. The same question, but in a negative way. When and where were we rejected? When and where were we rejected? And who and why did he reject us? Well, let me bring your mind to three places in the Bible where humanity was rejected. <clears throat> The free place humanity was rejected was in the Garden of Eden. In Eden, we were cast out with our first parents. The first great exile did not happen when the Babylonians, Babylonians took the kingdom of Judah into captivity. The first great exile took place in Eden, where our first parents were cast out from the presence of God for not keeping their covenant obligations. And remember, when God cast them out, God put um, cherubims with a flaming sword that will revolve around the entrance of the garden, indicating that the access to God was closed. Adam and humanity in him lost access to God, to the tree of life, and access to worship God. For that reason, we could say, that in a sense, the whole story of redemption is concerned with responding to one big question. How do we get access back to the garden? The second place where humanity was rejected was at Mount Sinai. Uh, listen, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the second place was Mount Sinai. And right before God, uh, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. You will remember the Lord descended or ascended 
I'm sorry, descended on Mount Sinai. And because the Lord was there on Mount Sinai, the Israelites were not allowed to go up the mountain. God commanded Moses to set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. No single Israelite was allowed to go up. And anyone crossing the limits or touching the mountain would have to be killed. In other words, access to God was restricted. It was actually closed. The third place man was rejected was at the tabernacle of Israel. But uh, listen to what Hebrew says, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that, that the people have committed in ignorance. And listen to what it says, verse 8. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way to the most holy place had not been yet disclosed. In other words, open. And so here, once again, man is alienated from God. Man is rejected. He can be, man can be, before the presence of God. So why is this important for all of us? And really, why is this important for uh, us Christians, but for everyone? Actually, for everyone. I want to respond to, to this question. But before that, let me tell you, this week I was reading... Uh, an article that is called, We All Want to Fit In. We All Want to Fit In. And in this uh, article, psychiatrist uh, Joanna Cannon, she acknowledges that the need to be accepted is a basic human instinct. She didn't say why it is a basic human instinct. She just stated it. Like her... Others also acknowledge the same reality without stating why. Philosopher Charles uh, Tyler calls this um, the extraordinary inarticulacy of modern reasoning. They would say things, but they would not give us a reason for that. Now, going back to my question, why this is important for us to why what happened in uh, the garden is important to us, what happened in the garden, but then replicated in Mount Sinai and then also in the tabernacle. Why is this important? Well, this is important because it explains why the need to be accepted is basic. It's a basic human instinct. Listen, the rejection of our first parents in Eden left an indelible mark in the heart of every human being. Everyone is born with this innate sense of rejection and deep desire to be wanted. Go back to the garden as it were. And if we are honest with ourselves, all of us would admit that at the core of who we are, we desire to be accepted. And that is a reflection that the access we want to have is first and foremost access to God himself. We crave God's acceptance because one day, all of us, we were rejected in Adam. 
Now, the problem with humanity is not wanting to be accepted. The problem is that humanity seeks acceptance in the wrong place. We seek acceptance in gospel counterfeits. As at, the, uh, at the 62nd Grammy Award ceremony, American songwriter Demi Lovato performed her song, Anyone. Have you listened to that song? Well, I guess you don't listen to Demi, Lo uh, Emil, uh, Demi Lovato, which is perfectly okay. <laughs> the M uh, MAC introduced her saying that Lovato had written her song four days before she almost died of an overdose. When the pianist began to play the intro to, the, to her son, her tears dropped on her cheeks. And a few seconds later, she had to stop singing because her throat was so tight, her voice was so shaky, and she was broken. She couldn't continue singing. After, talking, uh, after taking a deep breath, and indicating to her pianist, pianist to start over, she started singing along. These are parts of the heartbreaking lyrics of her song. I try, I try, I try some more. Told secrets till my voice was sore. Tired of empty conversations, cause no one hears me anymore. I used to crave the world's attention I think I tried so many times. I just need some more affection, anything to get me one. Then she asked, anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone I need someone? In her song, Lovato shows how gospel counterfeits cannot satisfy your soul. She tried music, drug, alcohol, the world's attention, romantic love, and all that left her, left her emptied at the end. And she's right there at the 62nd Grammy Award ceremony, and she's still broken, crying out for help. None of the sources she looked at could satisfy her thirsty soul because they were broken cisterns that hold no water. They were gospel counterfeits. The second thing that I would like to share uh, about this text is the mediator of this access that we now have. Notice that Paul focused on the agent by whom we have access to this grace of justification, which is Christ. See that verses uh, 1 says, we have Peace with God, and then the last part says, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look how verses, uh, verse 2 begins, through him we, have also, we also have access. So the same prepositional phrase verse 1 ends with is the, is the prepositional phrase verse 2 begins with. Through our Lord, and then through him. So you see the focus is on the person and the work of the mediator. You can, you, uh, basically what Paul is saying here is that you can't have the benefits if you don't have the benefactor. Um, all the benefits of justification and justification itself 
are mediated through Christ. Now, while I was preparing for this sermon, I, I went to Google and I typed, I want to be accepted. Have you done that before? Or is it ju just me? I'm a weirdo, I guess. Uh, you should do that, and you will find that there are so many interesting things that you will find. Just don't do it now. Now that I'm looking at you, don't do it now. Uh, but you know, while I was doing some research in preparation for this sermon, I realized um, that there are many resources out there to help you overcome your need for approval. I was like, I want to be accepted, and what Google basically, um, what came out in, uh, there on the internet was ways to overcome your need for approval. And I was like, this is not what I was looking for. Psychologists, sociologists, and psychiatrists talk about what I call negative behaviors. You have heard of them. Approval-seeking behavior, validation-seeking behavior, people-pleasing behavior, and some attachment styles. These behaviors are considered the source of people's problems. So, uh, and, that's the, and, and, and they are considered uh, the, the, the problem of people, and, and because they are the, the, the problem of the people, uh, people must eliminate them because they make people dependent on others. Seeking external validation, they would say, instead of internal validation, is wrong because your sense of happiness comes from an external source rather than from within you. So they prefer terms like, and you have heard these terms, self-referring, self-affirming, self-approving, self-validating, and self-talk and self, et cetera, and self, et cetera. Actually, in his course on reparenting re your inner child, the monk and therapist David Lees says you must stop seeking external validation. He says, what others, others think of me is none of my business. Alexandra Lees uh, his wife, even uses the term like approval addiction, validation addiction, and love addiction. She adds the word addiction to give a negative connotation to validation, approval, and love. Now, the problem with this narrative, because this is a narrative out there in our uh, culture, is that it tries to get rid of something that is impossible to get rid of in the first place. Validation, approval, affirmation, etc., are innate to human nature. And I hope that I was able to show you that uh, when I ex was explaining that man was cast out from the tabernacle, from, I'm sorry, from the garden. We can't deny that as human uh, beings, we seek, we seek external approval. But you know, nobody is addressing why everyone seeks eternal, external validation. The further they get is to say that those issues were developed in childhood when we were playing on the playground 
looking at other children, and we started to basically limit ourselves, and we kind of grow uh, into a pattern when, when, in, in our adult life. But why? Why do we do that when we are children? Well, that's the question nobody is responding to. And again, this is what Charles uh, Tyler um, uh, called the inarticulacy of modern um, reasoning. But that's not the only narrative out there. That's not the only narrative out there. In his book, The Desire for Mutual Recognition, Social Movements, and the Delusion of the False Self, lawyer, scholar, and activist Peter Gable seeks to make visible the desire for authentic social connection emanating from our social nature that, um, that, uh, that animates all human relationships. Now, he does not explain why we have a social nature. He only states it again. So from these two narratives, we learn that there are two opposing cultural narratives in our society that fight against each other. One, on the one hand, we could say that we have expressive individualism, and on the other, for a lack of a better term, I'm going to say expressive inclusion or inclusionism. Mutual that is mutual recognition for society to be able to flourish. This is what Van Til will call the inconsistency of non-Christian beliefs. Both narratives include, uh, exclude one another. You can have community if you uh, are going to have expressive individualism. And you can have expressive individualism if you are going to have um, community. Nevertheless, listen, our society claims that both things are possible. And for both, our culture presents a falsification of the gospel. What is the falsification of the gospel for expressive individualism? Well, expressive individualism presents the individual as obviously, the individual, as their own Messiah or Savior. It is your inner self that can only save you. Now, why am I saying all this? When I'm, I'm glad you ask, uh, because in our culture that deeply values individuality, the good news that in Christ you are accepted can find little or no echo at all. This is why it is important. People who think they, uh, people who think they need no approval, affirmation, and validation won't feel the need to be accepted by Christ by God in Christ, and would not appreciate the work of Christ on the cross so that they can have access to God. So by overemphasizing self-approval, self-reference, self-affirmation, self-validation, our culture is preparing you to eliminate 
the gospel concept of proper external approval so that you would be immune to the offer of the gospel. Now, how does Christ, how does Christ become the mediator of our access to God? Well, you remember I said earlier that in Genesis chapter 3, the way to Edom is closed. Well, Genesis also tells us that when man was cast out of God's presence uh, and exile from the garden, God put angels with a flaming sword to guard the entrance of the garden. And I said that this was indicating that, indicating that the way to go into the garden was through death. Anyone who dared to enter Eden would die at the very moment his foot stepped on that holy ground. Well, do you know who did that? Yes, you know. It was Christ. Christ was the one who, in order to bring us to God, in order to open the way to the mountain of God, he dared to cross the entrance of the garden and die when the flaming sword of the cherubim pierced him, pierced his, his soul, so that the tree, I'm sorry, so that the way to the tree of life, the way to the mountain of God, the, the way to worship God would be open. That's why it makes sense when Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The access to God is open. And, you know, this is so against expressive individualism because it makes you depend on external, a, a external source to validate you and to approve you. That is Christ. And my third and last point that I want to share with you is the nature of that access that we have in Christ. And you would maybe ask, so what about the other narrative, the, 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 the other opposite narrative? Well, I will address, uh, I will address it in, in this point. But before that, what is the nature of this access? What kind of access we have in Christ? Our text says, that, uh, that, uh, our text says this grace in which we stand the phrase in which we stand denotes at least three things. One, it's a new status. Two, it's a growing status. And three, it's a permanent status. In other words, or in the words of Matthew Henry, it denotes a new posture, our progress, and our perseverance. It is a posture that denotes our discharge of guilt. Psalm 1.5 says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment of God. So we stand in this gracious state as someone who is innocent and free from all condemnation. Our dignity and our honor are secured in Christ. The phrase also denotes our progress because while we stand, we are moving, we are pressing forward. And lastly, it denotes our perseverance. We stand firmly and safely upheld by the power of God. John Murray says, it is an abiding privilege 
it is a permanent privilege. That is to say that for acceptance to be, to really be acceptance, it has to be permanent acceptance. Otherwise, what is the point of being accepted for some time only? Real, real acceptance has no expiration date. Last month, I was in New York with my now fiance. Yes, I went there to propose to her. And by the way, she said yes. Uh, and we were there, and, and I, was, uh, I, I planned that the, the next day, the following day, to the proposal day, we were just going to be in New York City, going to places, uh, and basically chill out. And then she decided that uh, she wanted to go and see this island that is called uh, the Governor Island. Have you ever been there? Well, that's the island that nobody visits during the winter. Everything is dead and no, no people there. And when she said that, I was like, yay, we are going to go there. Obviously, I didn't want it to say no because the night before she said yes. So I didn't want it to say no, like, you know, and break the whole romanticism there. So we were there. But the thing is that when we, obviously, we needed to take uh, the, 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 the ferry, right? And, and in order to get to the ferry, we needed a ticket. And, and we did not realize, um, we didn't know, obviously, that um, we were not sure if our ticket was going to have an expiration date. And we found out that they do have an expiration date. But we thought that our, the expiration date was the same day we were there and that we missed our, you know, the, the ferry. So we were like, oh, okay, we are, we're going to uh, have to get another ticket. But then she realized that actually the expiration day of those uh, tickets is four months. You can get the ticket and then have four months to use it again, if, whenever you decide to go back, I guess. Um, so for us, it was like, okay, that's, that's great. We don't, we don't need to get another, another, um, another ticket. The same is uh, with Christ. The only difference um, is that the access, as we have the access to the ferry, the only difference is that the access and admittance that we have in Christ has no expiration date. You will always have access to the ferry of grace, if, if I can put it that way. Not just for one month, for four months, but permanently. God will always look at you in favor. It is amazing amazing grace. Now, for the second narrative of our society, uh, the society um, and, and the second narrative that I've been trying to describe is this narrative of community inclusion rather than, inclusion rather than exclusion. You see, both narratives are in our society. On the one hand, you yourself, you are the constructor, the builder of your future, and on the, on, on the other hand is we welcome everyone. It doesn't matter what color, what race, what, whatever, we welcomed everyone. So both narratives are there competing. And uh, Canon, uh, the, the lady, the psychiatrist that I mentioned to you before, she said the following thing, we all want to fit in, to belong, 
You know, and in order to achieve that, we often present slightly different versions of who we are, depending on the environment and whose company we are in. We might have numerous editions of ourselves for work, at home, or even online, all modified in order to be accepted in that particular situation. And when we think about that, we need to recognize also that caring too much for others' approval, others' validation and affirmation can also be wrong and may be indicated that something is not okay with us. Um, for that, the gospel tells us that um, the, the approval that we should seek is God's approval and not necessarily others' approval. So now you remember that at the beginning I said that man was rejected in the garden in Mount Sinai and the tabernacle. Now the similarities between these three places are astonishing. And I don't have time to develop all of this, but basically the garden... Sinai and the tabernacle are described as places of worship. Basically, the Garden Eden was a temple where Aaron would go and worship God. Before Christ, the way to that mountain of God was closed, was blocked. But now in Christ, we can go up to worship God. This is Mount, uh, another Mount. This is Mount Zion. Listen to how Hebrews describes Mount Zion. For you have not come to what may be torch, a, bla a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and to the sound of trumpet and voice whose words uh, may the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That is the fear of the Old Testament priest. But you have come, and this is describing you and me. This is actually you in the Bible, listen to this, you in the Bible, it says, but you have come to Mount, Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And you have come to God himself, the judge of all things, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the Sprinkled blood that speaks better, a better word than the blood of Abel. That is describing you, and that is what you have. The grace of justification has given you access to all of that. Why don't we then celebrate it, my dear friends? By coming to the table where you have access in Christ to communion and fellowship 
you are now enabled to worship God in Christ and hear his tender voice the tenderly voice of a father saying come in please stand